Hi, everyone. Paul from the Data Storytellers here. Today, I'm here with Manuel Neumann, who's the Global Head of Data Science for Red Bull. Great to have you with us. Hey, Paul. Thank you for having me on the show. Very much looking forward to the conversation. Likewise. So for those members who don't know you, just tell us a bit about yourself in a few words to start. Sure. Um, so I've been leading now the data science um, practice at Red Bull for about uh, seven years. Um, before that, I was a disgruntled economist, uh, you, could, you could say. Um, uh, did an MBA before that, worked in various roles and in consulting, risk consulting, uh, and really kind of made this um, decision to become, let's say, a professional in this space kind of, you know, without a real plan, to be quite frank. Mm. Um, and it just turned out to be a, a good decision, um, yeah, as I said, seven years ago when I joined uh, my current employer, where I really, I would say, I became a professional in this data science and AI space or data space in general. Um, and yeah, I think that's that's the most important thing we not, need to know about myself. Again, um, many colors to my to my to my career. Definitely, clearly um, defined career path. Uh, many things happened by coincidence, you, you could ask, or um, luck or preparation. Who knows? But I'm I'm very happy that I am today where I am. And you know, you you touched on it briefly there, but your background is in as, as an economist, and you said this the word disgruntled. So I'm keen to kind of dig in as to how you came into the data science world. Yeah, no, that's, that's, of course, fair enough. Um, so what I meant by that is I did work. So I think my claim to fame in the data science space is really when I worked as an applied um, um, an economist or a macroeconomist, econometrician um, in the past. Um, and this is really where, let's say, I had my most technical exposure, I would say, to, to, to data, data science. Um, and at the time when I, when I finished um, basically working for that consultancy, um, I did came to a realization that, you know, that kind of, there are certain limitations, of course, as well. When it comes to forecasting, especially and 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 and, um, and data to really be good at this, and it was more about not who is who is more right, but who is who is less wrong, in that sense. So I had the feeling in, in this in this stage of my life also like really thinking about um, working as an economist, where I felt like you know maybe it's a good time um, for for a change. That's when, also when I decided to do an MBA. Um, that's what you do when you don't know what to do. You do an MBA. Um, by the way, not a good decision. You should know why you're doing it. Um, but joking aside, um, I actually decided to really leave the data space um, for a while, for a couple of years, worked in a commercial role. And it was really then when, um, you know, my current employer reached out to me, who was a, a client of mine in the past, um, who really, you know, came really um, to me, approached me with a, I'd say, real vision of what they wanted um, to do. Not necessarily really knowing what this space will do or what this kind of, you know, um, these new skills can do for, um, and we can talk about this maybe later, a non-digital native company like ours. Uh, but it was really like the willingness to really have a look at this um, thoroughly and invest in it um, and really build this up um, more from scratch and really as a cross-functional um, initiative and um, to really see what data science and I could do um, for our organization. That is really what then changed my mind when it really wasn't about a very, let's say, vertical application, but really more a general um, vision of what data could potentially do or more advanced analytics can do, could do for, for our organization that really got me interested and kind of uh, made me also like, go back um, closer again, to data, but also really more from an, let's say, transformational enablement point of view. And that's where I kind of then I left my, my, my gruntleness uh, behind um, and really, again, um, you know, invested my, let's say, yeah, my last seven years really into, um, into this space. And, and again, it was a really good choice because at the time, um, maybe seven, eight years ago, data science wasn't such a big thing yet. It was just starting really to become, you know, popular. Um, so I think I, I, made, I made a co good call then because, of course, since then, in the last years, a lot of things have changed, yeah. 
And seven years is a long time in the 21st century. Uh, so that must mean that you're enjoying yourself. What really, what do you really enjoy about working in data science and, and also working in data science with Red Bull specifically? Sure. So I really think, and um, I think this is really important to clarify, like when, um, you know, I one has to really kind of distinguish between applying, say, data science and AI in a, in a digital native or a digital non-digital native environment, right? So working for a Google or working maybe for a Walmart, let's go it this way. Um, um, and, and I think that that is really important because, uh, it, of course, it really changes a lot of things, the kind of roles and people that are needed to really, really make it, make it ultimately um, work. And in my, in my personal case, like working in this non-digital native environment, despite the fact that, of course, that I love the brand and the company. It's an Austrian company. Um, as you may know, I'm, I'm Austrian as well. So, of course, it, it's, it's, it's great to work for one of our iconic um, yeah, companies and brands. Um, but it's really about like this transformational um, um, uh, aspect. So it's really for me more about how can we convince basically this maybe um, sometimes um, outdated um, manual processes and really kind of update them to the 21st century using data data and technology. That's really what really excited me to really kind of convince people by showing the value add um, of these new tools and skills uh, and really show that it can really make a difference uh, applying them and that it should become part of, part of our, let's say, really organizational capabilities um, in, in the future. And I think that's what really truly excites me to kind of really show it um, to, to, to the people here that it makes sense to invest in this. Mm. And like you said, we're probably going to talk about this in a bit more detail later on about the, the differences between being a digital native versus a non-digital native. And it's probably a pretty good, uh, unique position that you're in because with Red Bull, it's a brand that's been around for a very long time. It's very strong, but it's not necessarily like a specifically inherently digital company. So from that perspective, how do you, how are you going about that transformation? What are some of the things that you're, you're doing to, to help take Red Bull into the, into that level? Um, Well, first of all, I think there's one also important thing to clarify, like not being digital native is not bad per se, right? It's just a question of of history, right? If you're, if you have been found like, uh, you know, 50, 60 years ago, um, then you're just inherently usually non-digital native, right? Um, um, so there's nothing bad per se uh, about this. Um, and I think there are also like really great examples um, about um, of companies, non-digital native companies that really take fantastic advantage of these new new opportunities, right? It's just, it comes usually with a very different um, organizational mindset and also like, um, let's say, tech readiness, um, I, w- I would say, I would say it this way. Um, but I think what's really, what's really, um, you know, really exciting in Red Bull, where I think where, where the difference is ultimately being made is really, about convincing really um, decision makers that you're not questioning per se the status quo as in everything we've done in the past is, is, is bad because clearly in our case it isn't. And we have been very successful uh, in, in, um, in the way we build our, uh, our company. The processes that we're using have shown to be like, you know, really successful um, at scale. So it's really about finding a narrative to really convince people still yet, even in this kind of successful non-digital native environment, why does it make sense to really invest um, in, 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 this, in these capabilities? And I think this is where um, I would say the initiative um, has been successful because we, we found that narrative for our organization. And I think this is really what ultimately, um, you know, made the difference why we're still here and actually, you know, bigger in that sense than, than ever. And why we're really also having a, a clear mandate by now, um, if that makes sense. No, that makes perfect sense. And and when you use a word like narrative, that that's a trigger word for me because we're the data storytellers, right? Uh, in a very yes. general sense, how have you gone about finding that narrative and, and really, yeah. you know, engaging people like that? 
Um, that, that's a good question. I think, again, uh, you know, I, I would love to give as a recommendation, there's a silver bullet how to find that out, but, but it's not. I think it, it's, uh, it's fortunately or unfortunately, I think, specific to, to any organization. Again, it depends on the context. It depends on that readiness, that mindset, where the mandate is coming from. Is it more bottom, bottom up? Is it more top down? So I think it, it really it, it really depends. But I think one one thing that, that I learned and it would be the one like, you know, sharing my experience is really you need to a certain degree really constantly adapt it actually, because you may start an initiative like this as in, you know, it's just a cool thing to do. Everyone is doing it. You, you should also do it. Um, but then you very quickly basically switch that narrative once you maybe um, hit, you know, some first um, golden nuggets and you see that actually that, you know, these, these projects have been successful with a particular department, um, so to say. So you really start sharpening that narrative um, as, you, as, you, as, you, uh, as, you, as you go along. Mm. And I think for us, it's really ultimately, it really was, uh, it was to a certain degree really, really almost deflecting a bit from the complexities of data science and, and, and data work. And really focusing more on the on the let's say on, on the output that we ultimately generate for um, for key departments um, in, in our organization and really how we just made things just better um, but not really focusing too much how cool it is to do data science of course we also had some really great success stories and great um, yeah just use cases that looked very very cool and of course that helps also in like communication and, and people are just they like to look at flashy stuff but it was really ultimately about finding like what, what are we actually doing better now because of this, right? And why does it make sense to continue doing that? Mm. It's almost like finding the, the the why, right? And this this also ties back in with what you said about uh, it's not necessarily or it isn't a bad thing to not be a digital native. It's just it is what it is. But at the same time, you can actually use those organizations as case studies for not just the best ways to do things, but also you know, where, where, they've, where they've tried to implement and, and, and failed. And you can also yeah. do that with, with other companies in the non-digital space as well. And adaptation is, is a key one. What do you think mm-hmm. is some of the most important aspects in an organization that allows, that, that allows the preconditions for adaptation? Yeah. Um, that's a very good question. I mean, I, th- I think, again, there's so many factors and it depends ultimately on the, on the organization uh, itself. But um I would say uh, the things that come to mind immediately is like there needs to be, of course, someone that really truly believes in this, right? Um, and, and, and ideally that person, the, the higher and that person's up the hierarchy, I would say um, the better, but it doesn't really need to be like, you know, like always a CEO uh, mandate at all. Uh, it can really also happen by like someone that, you know, has enough influence, has enough connections, um, um, some, some, some um, access to budget, I would say, I'm um, very honestly speaking as well. And who can then just start basically this kind of little revolution or transformational um, process? So I think there needs to be one person um, that 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 believes in that. Mm. Um, then second, um, and there there needs to be also like again like I would almost call it a bit of luck. I was in the beginning when you kick this off, like really to hit, uh, let's say, relatively quickly, like you know your first um, strike, um, because that of course then changes the narrative of why you start why you're investing in this anyway. Which was also like the case in in in, in our history, where it just got a couple of use cases very early on relatively early and that just showed from a monetary perspective that it simply makes sense because it you know was saving a lot of money therefore no one can argue against it um the third really key pillar and this is also of course an ongoing um you know involvement is of course also the collaboration as always um with with um with it so in our case just to clarify like um the, our center of excellence which again is a cross-functional data science team we're actually based in the business and it was also like a you know i think an, an, a decision was made on purpose um and i think in our organization was was most likely a good one to make um 
but ultimately, of course, we're also heavily dependent on IT, right? And I think that becomes clearer and clearer also, also as, we, as we mature to kind of continuously bring that value to the organization. So if you have an IT um, department that is very closely involved, it can also be really actually run out of IT, no problem at all. Um, again, it depends on the organization and, and the, 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 the leadership. Um, but I think that that kind of enablement from an IT technology engineering perspective is ultimately um, um, uh, also key. So it's really some key decision maker from the business, show value adds quickly, and then also having a, a strong um, tech um, um, like mm. support in that sense that I think are really key pillars. Um, and maybe the ultimate, the, the one that I would, uh, that would throw in there also given that speaking to data storytellers is of course also the communication aspect ultimately of that, right? So once you once you have these first successes, you're going to have to find this narrative very, very quickly. And in, in our case, for sure, be able to speak that language in a way that doesn't feel like, in, um, you know, like that is something challenging or um, it's a true value add. And maybe it's something to go back to your first, uh, to your question just before, what, what was also important for us to kind of get right was this kind of position of what data science does, right? And, and I can also share this very openly. We, we position it very quickly as what we call decision support. So it's not about like replacing people. It's not about like questioning um, necessarily how things have been done, but it's just about like positioning us as someone who can potentially help you and support you to, to make smarter decisions. And I think that helped also a lot, like finding this non um, kind of um, competitive um, narrative for existing people, existing roles and existing process, but really more of this like kind of value add supporting um, uh, role, if that makes mm. sense yeah. No, that makes perfect sense. And I've written tons down here. And I think that, that a lot, all those aspects, putting this into a mixing pot and, and bringing it out does, of course, bring across the preconditions for adaptation. But some, some aspects of this are harder than others. And for example, you mentioned yeah. the IT function. I think it's a lot easier to make a case to upgrade the IT than it is to say, here's why you should change your behavior. Here's why. And that's why I think you did a really good job when, it, when you mentioned the, uh, the quick wins, the low-hanging fruit that you did and, and get those quick use cases mm-hmm. in to show the business how that, that, that can actually adapt. And you also mentioned leaders as well, which is something we'll delve into. And that one person who's in the organization. So what role does that one person play? Let's say it's a CDO or a, gl- yeah. a global head or what, whatever that, that's called. What, what role does that person play in your opinion? Are they a change agent? Are they an evangelist? Are they, um, you know, what does that look like for you? Um, so again, I also want to be careful here because I want to, I can only really speak, um, of course, I speak to people who are in industry, but um, I'm, I feel more comfortable speaking about, you know, what I've seen in, in, in my organization. And then maybe I can basically talk a bit broader what I think. But I think in our organization was really someone who came with a lot of um, credibility with like a long history of being part of the organization, a lot of trust um, by key um, decision makers. Because as you can imagine, when you when you kick something off like this and and, and put some investment behind it, um, a lot of people just, you know, don't don't understand it and nor, nor should they, to be frank. Um, um, so it's really about you know, putting trust in that kind of leader, in that kind of senior person to kind of, you know, you know what you're doing and let's give you a bit of space to actually show the value add of, um, of that, right? And then I think that that, um, that person needs to come with, you know, ultimately uh, a lot of traits. And it's again, like, of course, building on to the trust, um, but also working on the communication um, with, you know, again, more senior decision makers that ultimately sign up the budget um, to kind of keep that, um, keep that conversation going and really ultimately build uh, like a more sustainable initiative kind of, starting with this trust, but then really build it into something that is, you know, continuously adding value and ha- is perceived as adding value to the organization. So this person clearly, again, I think trust, 
communicator and of course knowing the right people and knowing what to do to influence them those people mm. and what are some of the the best questions to ask to build trust do you think yeah oh that's that's a good one um some of the best questions um to to build trust i really think that that the, the one thing that's that speaks for itself. And this is something, that over, of course, luckily we did quite early on is really about the communication, about the impact and the output, right? Um, again, we don't want to be, you know, don't, don't make it sound as something that, it, that it's not as in like we have perfect like reporting in, uh, established where for every project, we know exactly like how much we're, we're affecting the, 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 the bottom line. Um, of course not, but we, we, for certain projects, we really, um, you know, very, um, very strictly really wanted to get that feedback um, on a somewhat regular basis to really show to decision makers that it does really make a difference for the people that ultimately they're also protecting, right? If you speak to head of sales, he doesn't want his sales um, uh, force to be distracted by this kind of new things just because it's shiny. But he really wants to know that it makes a difference, um, you know, for, for the job and makes something um, better. I think that's the, that's the one thing. The second one also with some of the initial projects that I now remember, I think we've been also very careful in um, uh, about how to actually build trust in the data asset itself. So we really emphasized a lot also in some of the yeah, key projects in the beginning, the testing aspect, right? To really make field tests. Um, and, and, and that I think was very, very important, right? If you, if you say, for instance, well, we want to use basically an algorithm to actually um, suggest what should be the next point of sales for us to activate. Um, we actually really made, made some tests and saying, well, that's what the algorithm would say. Um, or actually, we didn't tell them sometimes what the algorithm would say, but just told them what they would say and then compared that um, kind of the human expertise against that, that output mm -hmm. to build that trust. So I think that was also really, really important. Again, just really real-life testing um, with some of these things um, and then really about really convincing people um, and showing senior stakeholders that it actually really made a positive impact on, on, on the people that they are ultimately trying to enable. Mm -hmm. That, that, that's the trust piece. And you said the next step of that is, is the communication. So what, what importance these soft skills play, you know, in terms of influence and, and persuasion, in terms yeah. of building those relationships, both from a, from a, a budget getting uh, attainment perspective, yeah. but also like looking down on the organization across as well. Yeah. Um, it's, it's definitely crucial, right? Also, again, here, I think it depends, again, on your organization, on your readiness, mindset, digital native knowledge. And so, again, a lot of variables uh, to consider here. Um, and we know that data science, you know, we always talk about this, you know, um, um, kind of um, uh, data kind of um, translators, right, these roles. And I, I fully agree that they're, they're super um, um, essential. I would also consider that 80% of my job has to do um, with this. Um, so there's clearly no doubt that this needs to be an essential piece of, 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 of a data science um, initiative. But again, it depends on ultimately what is really required um, to add on to, 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 to your point to, to build that, that trust, right? And again, in, in, in my case, um, as I said, a lot of my time is really being spent to find, again, that, that level of communication to make sure you're not annoying to, to some of you because if I write an update to kind of senior decision makers every week, then I'll also be like, Jesus. Um, but at the same time, it's also rem remembering or reminding people why it's still relevant to invest in us. So I think, as I said before, like finding this constant narrative and adapting to the latest organizational dynamics is really, really key and adapt your communication um, also to that. Um, and yeah, I think, it, uh, you know, in, in our case now, seven, seven, eight years in, um, it seems like we have found or people have, you know, found a, 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 the trust basically the way we communicate because clearly it's, it's, it's working, but also here, we're learning constantly, right? I'm discussing also with my with my 
um, uh, team and, and uh, with, my, with my boss, of course, what can we do better next year to make sure that we are um, still as relevant? And that doesn't, as I said before, always mean do more, right? It's just being in the right moments and saying, saying the right things, um, um, mm. which I think is, is ultimately the key, the, the, the key about communication. Yeah. And I don't want to spin your words too much because what I'm about to say might come across as adversarial, but it's almost like choosing your battle when you talk about the, the narrative being yeah. the war. Um, but also obviously taking the, the, the adversarial aspect out of that because it is all about collaboration, right? And you want to, you, you don't want to force anything on someone and you do, because it's not going to help in the long run. It's not a good, it's not objectively a good yeah. strategy to do that. Um, do you think that humility yeah. plays a big part in, in these conversations? Yeah. Um, absolutely. So I think, um, I think one of the, the, the key skills ultimately when you try to kind of build uh, kind of something that is really new, right? So ultimately, we're talking about the capability and organization capability that is in a non-digital native environment hasn't existed most likely 10 years ago. Um, let's put it this way. Um, and I think you really have to be careful as in how you position what, what, what you bring to the table, right? And you need to be very careful not to overstep your boundaries also. And then, of course, like when, you, when you're young and you're motivated and you kind of, you know, you also have all this great talent that basically can do anything from, let's say, analytics to engineering, um, you need to be careful that you don't overstep again going to areas because there's so many gray areas, of course, attached to 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 our our um, our work. That you still also let other people's you know have become part of this initiative. Not you become a very lonely, isolated initiative, um, with the risk at some point being buried in the cellar or someone a key, a key decision maker before it even has grown, before it even has shown the value add to organization, kind of kills them the whole thing. So I think that kind of humbleness is is super uh, super important. As in like you know know what you can do um, and know what you're really good at being very good about expressing that also stand up for it. So if it's, you know, if it's challenged, also like make sure, you know, you also like kind of fight your corner, but at the same time also let other people's in and also acknowledge that there are certain skills um, 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 that, that, that most likely are not best suited to sit with you again, given your organizational um, um, structure um, where it said, maybe it's also better. Let's just look for collaboration than actually owning um, um, that 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 um, that skill, and in, in our case, it has been a key asset, I think, in the way we communicate, in the way we actually also um, build collaboration frameworks, especially with IT around um, that kind of humbleness of knowing. Look, of course, we think we're amazing, we're doing a great job, and we have the the, the best people. But at the same time, there are also a lot of really good people and a lot of established roles and poses out there that you need ultimately, and that potentially need to be reshaped a bit to fully enable data science but they in many occasions exist in organization and need to also like bring them on board. So absolutely, absolutely important. Yeah. Mm. And I think what you were touching on there was, was uh, the opposite end of, or not the opposite end, but you also have to have an element of assertiveness about it as well, because you know that the skills that you and your team are bringing to the organization are going to change it for the better. And yeah. if you're talking about breaking down silos, what are some of the strategies that you might use to do that if it becomes an issue? Yeah. yeah. So, um, so what we've done is I can speak quite openly to that again, especially with 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 um, with IT, um, which I think is, is is you know our our most important let's say partner in crime here. By now, I would call it a partner in crime. Maybe in in, in the past, not. Um, it's really looking for this like regular touch points, right? So what we what we've done is really over the years, um, we always do some sort of um, what we call a retreat, where basically we lock ourselves up for a couple of days to really talk very openly. Um, you know what, what's going on, what's not working. And I think these kind of touch points have been really essential in kind of building that trust and really kind of also breaking up that silos and bringing these people um, uh, on board. 
And that really has now gone so far that really like we, we share resources again with very regular touch points. Again, many things too where we don't agree, of course, um, which is completely fine. But I think it's really about, you know, again, also going to your point of communication, um, it's really about like um, creating these moments of, of exchange that I think are just really, really um, essential. And again, in these moments of, moments of exchange, not only express what you want and what you need, um, but also um, kind of show, as you said, humil humility, but also acknowledge where also, you know, other skills that you don't have and you don't want to have in, in your, in your um, uh, organization necessarily or in your department, how those are essential actually to make you successful, right? Um, so I think it's really creating those spaces is, is definitely something that I would argue should come from the department or the, the, the new kids on the block. So I think it's really like our, our kind of that, our, our duty to kind of ask for those touch points, create those touch points, create that trust, um, because we're the ones that actually joined the party the latest, right? So um, uh, I think that is, that is key. Yeah, and, and, and just touching on all of these skills, trust, building you know, good communication skills, uh, humility and, and everything like that. What role did these skills play in your success as a, as a professional during your career? You know, um, can you give some examples? Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's an interesting one because, again, as I said, like my, my, my career was really definitely not like, you know, planned to be, um, you know, becoming somewhat of a, of a data science um, expert or like a leader in this space. Um, but I do believe, of course, that, you know, many, many experiences that I had, colorful experiences. So I've been traveling a lot, working in many countries, um, studied abroad, um, uh, et cetera, that definitely also kind of, you know, prepared me most likely beyond this kind of some sort of technical, like at least acknowledge or like appreciation um, that are now key. And I think also why I was chosen to kind of, you know, have this role potentially to kind of, you know, grow this, let's put it this way. Um, so, so yes, I hope, I hope they have helped. But again, also, I want to keep you also very open. I don't think that everything I've done is perfect, right? And surely there have been moments where I should have shown more humility and, and I didn't. Um, and maybe um, there were moments where I should have been also like more uh, adamant about um, wanting something. So I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that, that you know, I, I did everything perfectly um, uh, at all. Um, but, 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 I, but I do believe that these skills, you know, did play, did play a role um, um, for sure. Now, would you... I think when you think of, of, and I think that's kind of potentially the point of your question, like how can we isolate some of these skills ultimately, right? We train people um, to, 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 um, to become better um, at this. And, and when I, again, when I look back like 10 years ago, there were no real data science masters or anything available, right? Or, you know, really studies in AI um, in that sense. Um, that is, of course, rapidly changing now, right? And like every, every business school or every university these days, so many of them have now started to also do um, um, some of these courses and what we see there is that when I look at for instance where you know where we're situated in in, in Austria and uh, there's a um, like say a, um, a academic program with which we also like collaborate um, and they started doing basically a data science master's three years ago and it was basically just um, steal back and borrow from existing you know um, 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 courses like mathematics of course informatics etc what we saw in the last years is that really there was a shift also like adding more and more of these soft things also into the, into the, into the mix. And I think partly also because of the, 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 the experiences with, with companies like ours, right. That just also like gave the feedback, look, these guys are, these guys are technically good or are very good, but also they're lacking kind of this readiness. Can you really put them into an environment where, you know, um, their stakeholder will not be necessarily impressed by, you know, the latest and greatest algorithm they can, they can apply, but really about why did, this makes you know any difference um, um, for them. So I, I do believe there's a realization that you know these things need to also be trained. 
Um, but also here, um, I want to be very careful that, um, you know, I, I did an MBA myself and then an and MBA is fantastic on, on many levels, but there are also certain things that I, I think are more important if they're genuine rather than hardly trained. Um, so yes, you can train communication, you can train presentation uh, skills. Um, you can maybe also teach humility, you, although usually it comes by, you know, being slapped in the face at some point in your life. Um, but um, I do believe ultimately, and that's maybe, you know, a point I wanted to make earlier as well. I think what really, truly makes a difference for, for, for a leader in any case is really like some sort of a genuine behavior. Um, and, and, and so I don't think there's a silver bullet for the perfect data leader either. It really is, is about, again, your context and also, um, um, you know, how you are actually genuine in your intentions. So it's really about the how and the why. And if you find a genuine way that people believe that, again, that you're genuine about why you're doing something and the way you're doing something, I think that ultimately will lead to a mm -hmm. great output. So I also believe that someone else could have been successful in my position. Um, but I think I, was, I, was, I, was, uh, I did a, a relatively good job in, in, in being genuine about my intentions in this organization. Again, very confident, of course, as well, but also genuine. Um, and that's almost more important than just being a fantastic communicator um, um, or like being super uh, humble, which, again, as I said, I definitely wasn't always. Does it make sense, Paul, what I'm, what I'm trying to allude to here? Um, yeah, absolutely. I think absolutely. some things can be trained, but yeah. some things just come <laughs> it, more from an honest place. Yeah, and it, it comes from... Exactly as you just said, it comes from an honest place, right? And here at the Data Storytellers, we work with data leaders, but we've never done MBAs in data science and we've never worked in big organizations implementing data. From your own personal perspective, do you, outside of the technical side of things, how much utility is there in formal data education in terms of the leadership stuff, do you think? You mean as in like the, educating the, the leadership in general on data? Um, yeah, as opposed then, to the technical stuff, which is obviously you need that in, yeah. you need that anyway, right? Yes. Um, well, also here, I think yeah, in theory, it's super essential. And again, I'm sorry to be annoying to coming back. It really depends on your context, right? Because mm. I also remember when we kicked off this, um, this initiative at Red Bull, you know, you know I, had, I had all the same PowerPoint slides that everyone else had, right, in terms of like what we need to be doing next, you know, we need to prioritize our use cases, we need to actually have a, uh, I know, a quarterly uh, training session with uh, the leadership team and, you know, talk to them about data science, why it's great and whatnot. And I think they all make sense. They're kind of tools in a, in a toolbox, right? But ultimately, you need to find again what really rocks the boat in your, um, in your organization. And, and we really found that if I, if I have to reflect honestly now, like in the, in the past, most likely I would have, I would have loved to do kind of a really regular training with, with our, with our senior, um, you know, leadership, um, like really formal training around data. Mm. But I think what really happened in our organization was more like, because of like finding a good level of communication of updating them on why it actually adds value to organization. We actually did it in a certain, in a, in a certain way. Um, um, and it wasn't about around formalized training, but it's really about like, again, this trust, and showing the, the impact that it has. And by now we really have touch points regularly with the board where we update them on that. We ask for, let's say, permission and budget, of course, um, but there's a lot of trust in us and they just get that feedback also from their, from their peers that what we're touching usually um, really uh, adds value by now. So again, um, I have also many other examples um, where from colleagues um, of, uh, in other companies where they did that formal, tra um, formal training. And, uh, and I think it's amazing, especially if the CEO says, look, I want my leadership team to be trained in this. I want to have a session uh, on a regular basis where they get you know, exposed to some of these tools and, 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 and start thinking in, in, in data terms. And that's also fantastic, um, but it, it's not always the key to success, I, 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 would, I would say. Again, it depends really 
on on the organization and, and the, the yeah. appetite um, and again is it a top down uh, um, uh, bottom up approach so there there are many tools um, and it, you need to find the right mix for for yours and, and you've done a big circle back which is great because my next question was actually about bottom up versus versus top down of in your organization what have you found works better or is it a combination of both yeah uh, I mean, clearly it's, it's a combination of both um i guess most people would say that but um in our in, in, in our personal journey a journey there was really a lot of effort put in the in a bottom um bottom up uh, approach which i now retrospectively appreciate a lot so it was really about this is also like one of the, the the advantages maybe if you're in a company that is you know not public where you can just you know build basically some 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 um or have some resource available without having to report back necessarily three months later um and so they, they created they gave him really a bit of space and saying like, like, look, find people that want to work with you um, um, and, and find, um, you know, um, basically projects and then execute them. And then we talk about them in the organization. And I think now four, five, six years later, um, these relationships we've built also on, the, on that level are now really crucial because some of these people have moved on. They became now more senior decision makers and kind of feeling that really working ship relationship has been really, 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 really key. At the same time, however, and, and that's why it's ultimately both if you would have been able to also communicate to the board um, uh, and other senior decision makers, you know, that the, the value that we're bringing would have had, of course, a much harder, um, um, uh, you know, time to also like secure budget um, and, and, and secure headcount and et cetera, right? So I think you need to find both, but it's really, if any of the two things is out of sync, it usually is, it, it, it doesn't um, succeed in a sustainable initiative really, right? So I think you need to, again, balance these two things um, and, and, and find, yeah, the, the right, um, the right, uh, on an ongoing basis, wh- where you should be really focusing um, uh, on. And I think also here, call it luck, but I think we found a, a very difficult balance um, in, in the two. Yeah, and, and you know, I'll give you a pretty good grilling on the organization. We'll go wider in a moment. But one last question I did have on that was, how intentional are you with uh, things like setting clear priorities and building strategic plans and, and following tactical mm-hmm. roadmaps? Uh, do you have a system in place yeah. that, to help you and the team with that prompts and accurate execution? Yeah, yeah, no, very good question. Also here, um, it's really something, of course, when you mature, right? It's a, it's a difference if you're like if you're like three people or like a hundred people, right? So you need to, of course, um, you know, um, manage that in, in in a very very different um, uh, way. And I think there's certain things that we're just really forced to do smarter, right? Again, it, you know, at some point in the beginning, you take on any any work, and now we're at the stage where clearly we also need to start saying no, right? So prioritization um, plays plays clearly um, an, an important role. Um, but also here, we also on purpose, we kind of, we, we, we maintain some sort of flexibility. So we, we, we said like, we, when we communicate our work, usually we have this kind of three pillars where we said like 80% is basically, um, spent on, on, on developing, um, or rolling out concepts so stuff that we already kind of solved and where it's really about like rolling out into more markets, um, or, uh, just making them more bust. The second pillar is then really in like what we call like concept development. So where we have a clear ask, uh, we just don't know yet if and how we can solve it. And there's a bit of um, um, also resources dedicated to what we call R&D, right? Like playing around, getting exposed to new um, technologies or algorithms, um, uh, et cetera. Um, and we would say like 80, 20, 10, uh, sorry, 80, 20, uh, 70, 20, 10, um, I, I would say approximately the way we, we allocate resources there. Again, also on a, on a year-to-year basis, these things sometimes um, fluctuate, right? Sometimes like bigger projects become so big that you actually cannot really do a lot of R&D. Um, so we need to kind of, you know, balance here um, um, as you... Um, as as you um, go along, what we're trying to do more and more is really 
like emphasize our work around some 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 key um, initiatives that we really believe you know really are super relevant and really like start from there and then really whatever is left over allocates to 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 the other pieces like new like innovation or or um, concept development and and R and T and of course here. Um, given that we're a bit more mature by now, we're also forced by our senior decision makers to kind of really routinely report on that, right? So what are you doing with your time? What are you um, what are you working on? And ultimately, then when it comes to actually talking to um to 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 the board, we need to kind of justify uh, our narrative and also show how we have kind of spent our resources against which um which kind of initiatives. But also luckily there, um um we we managed uh, kind of well communicating that you cannot manage data science completely the same way you would actually manage necessarily an IT portfolio, uh, if that makes sense. So there needs to be some room for flexibility, right? And mm-hmm. some room for failure, some room for iteration, experimentation. Um, and luckily we've created also that understanding that it's not that every year we co- completely held, you know, um, but that's what you said and you didn't do it. Of course, when it would be a big initiative that, that wouldn't go down well, but there's also still some flexibility about what we can do on a yearly basis and also priorities, organizational priorities change. And this is for us more important that we're relevant for the people that need to make decisions in a certain period and support that rather than just sticking to a to a plan um, necessarily. But again, it's it's always a bit of a mix, and 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 we need to also mature and become more structured and and um, also present our business plan and defend it. Yeah, and everyone does right. And and talking from a more wider context now, I imagine you speak to to leaders in in data science pretty regularly outside of uh, your organization. How do you see data analytics today? What do, what do you think about the state of data functions in, in organizations and the general progress of these data-driven business transformations in a corporate context? Um, yeah, so what, also here, I think it depends a lot, like most likely who you ask. Again, like uh, if you speak to someone like Google or speak to us, right? So we need to kind of also, as always, um, make a differentiation there. And I want to rather speak about this non-digital native environments because that's what I what I know more about. Um, but I do there is I do believe there is kind of uh, if I if I may say I do believe there's a bit of a hype that is over, and I mean it in a very good way. Um, that was kind of my my my, my impression that I had in the last um, yeah, years. It's really the kind of this kind of Data science is kind of the silver bullet for everything or AI. And it's, I feel it's calming down a bit, which I think is very, very good and very, very healthy. So it's really more about like pragmatically, you know, leveraging this, you know, this technology and and, 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 and data roles in organization rather than like just doing something flashy. At least that's something we, we realized. And luckily we've survived this hype period very well. Um, uh, actually, we're, you know, we're bigger than ever in that sense, but I think we managed it that, that pretty good. But I do believe there's this kind of, this kind of, Maybe maybe we should focus more on blockchain. You know, this is really the new cool thing rather than like data science and, and, and AI. And I'm, I'm I'm happy about that. Um, but um, I do believe that what's also happening is that there's still a lot of confusion about what these different data roles really are, what they should be doing, what skills they need, and how they really all interact. Right? And it's really for me this kind of engineering, data science, and analysts. Right? I kind of, you know, um, three roles where I think there's still a lot of confusion around what is what, right? And I think it's also something that we were very careful about, like when we communicate about postings and job roles to really make it very clear what we what we believe these people are doing, right? So, I mean, there's nothing, I think it happens all the time that someone, you know, applies for a data um, science position, but ultimately just does analyst work. He's actually applying for a um, data scientist position, but he's then uh, working as an engineer, uh, and and that's fantastic, and this that's that's 
all needed, right? But sometimes the communication around these roles is still not clear and still also not understood within the organization. Uh, and here also we need to do a lot of work because we have realized that we depend on both sides, right? So yes, in the middle, you could call it data science, but then you, we need these engineering skills and you need these analysts that ultimately work with your data products. Um, and if, if these things are not somewhat in sync um, and also clearly um, defined, then the gray areas um, um, cause a lot of confusion, um, if, that, if that makes sense. Yeah, and if you don't have That's the right people in, in data engineering, then the data science team is going to suffer as a result of that, right? And as, and as you've said rightly throughout the whole um, podcast, that the whole organization is going to suffer as a result of that because it makes, it makes, totally. um, it makes your message less clear or, or, or less powerful, uh, which is the key as well. So you, you did touch on technology there, but what do you think are the greatest mm -hmm. opportunities for ambitious companies and leaders today, let's say in, 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 in non-diginative? Mm -hmm. um, I think one of the, and, and I'm gonna. I'm just gonna very, very sneakily make make a challenge into an opportunity here, um, or, or or vice versa. But so one of the things that I really see is, is, as I said, like this kind of this really finding this narrative and this enablement together with IT and really identify uh, and define these new processes that are needed to also like bring value on an ongoing basis of these data products um, to the to the organization, right? And luckily we've built here some collaboration frameworks already, how we deploy things, et cetera. But I truly believe that there's there's massive steps that can can still be made also in our organization to make these things just a bit more smarter, make them more um, more like really collaborative um, and more seamless and like really across um, uh, across the different functions independently from where you sit. I think it's ultimately needed to really be smart about how to deploy your resources and, and use data assets to bring this value to the organization. And I do believe that this is really something that is not only in, in our organization, but it's something that is really across the board, um, even also most likely in digital native organizations, but uh, definitely non-digital native organizations, how to really break up those silos to use one of the terms you used before and really see like, how can we do things now differently? Most likely we need to do things a bit differently when we think about deploying these data assets. What are the roles that we need? Again, what are the platforms we need? What are the processes that we need to kind of um, uh, keep these living things um, um, basically relevant and, and, um, and, and, and alive? I think there I see a massive opportunity to really kind of um, also for non-digital native companies become more digitally, digitally aware and digitally enabled. And that's something that personally really excites me. And that's also where my humbleness comes in, where I'm very much also appreciating, you know, the support of our um, IT counterparts, because that's really expertise that, that of course we always have great ideas and we have some understanding and see some flashy stuff, um, but we want to really be very pragmatic here and very, yeah, humble also with our IT counterparts, what is potentially needed to make this happen. Being also aware that that also means again um, defining new processes, which is again not an easy thing, right? That's where your transfer, like your transformational um, aspect, um, comes in. How do you convince senior decision makers that potentially we need to be doing things differently? We need new roles, uh, etc., just for this um, this data stuff. And, and that's that's something that again is a challenge, but at the same time, I think it's a massive opportunity uh, as well that I'm really looking forward um, to solving. Hopefully. Yes, and, and Manuel, I've had a really great discussion today. It's been really good to hear your, your own perspective and, and uh, you, you've definitely been doing this for a while and I'll, I wouldn't be surprised if we, we have you on the show again down the line. Um, last question then. So what advice would you give for aspiring leaders in data? Um, again, I, I'm not going to say too, 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 um, too many new things here, which I haven't mentioned before, but I really, the more I think about it, um, uh, it it's really about... The, the key vision that I have for a good data, data leader is ultimately still, and that's almost something I would say for any leader, is really like this, this, this being genuine about, 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 about who you are. So I don't think it's about 
picking up like certain skills necessarily um because again the, the the reason why you're ending up to be a leader um depends on your on the context and, and, and your career etc but i do believe that if you find a genuine narrative about your intentions that is going to be a key enabler for for your success it's, again the why and, and the how like how you do things and why you do them and if you really you you establish that kind of narrative around yourself as a person as a leader um, in a, in a, in a, are perceived as a genuine um, with genuine intentions, then I think that can go a very very long way, um, and it can really make make, make a difference. And, and I wouldn't be, I wouldn't um, dare to say how exactly that that is um, what that is, but I have seen people that are completely different in terms of like also to me um, as as a data leader in terms of per personality, maybe sometimes sometimes much more technical, less um, outgoing, that less outspoken. Yet they also have been as successful um, um, as I'm for sure. Um, but I think it's also because they were perceived again as a very genuine, um, you know, with genuine intentions. Um, so I think this is really what what I would really um, emphasize. Uh, and then really, it's it's really to a certain degree also. I think you can plan for certain things. I think you can prepare yourself for certain things. But certain things happen with luck. And what I mean by that is you know where opportunity and preparation meet. Um, and, and in terms of preparation, it's really about. Um, just looking into the mirror, what you ultimately do really want to do. Do you want to become more technical expert? And it's very clear um, where you, what you should be doing in your more junior career, right? Really focus a lot on those technical um, skills. I would always say, like, really have a fantastic, like, sound um, and background in statistics and, and, and mathematics, um, of course, and ideally research. Um, uh, but if you think, well, I, I also want to kind of, you know, aspire to be some sort of a manager in the space, which again, also not every data scientist wants to be a manager. Um, then maybe you should also focusing on like really understanding some business processes, right? Um, and 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 work a bit on that, that communication um, skill for sure. So these things are obvious, but I think that the first point that I mentioned potentially not right. Find really a genuine narrative around you and make sure people perceive you um, that that you're genuine in your intentions. And I think that goes a long way. Well, great advice there. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Manuel. And uh, we'll we'll be in touch soon, I'm sure. Thank you, Paul. Uh, it was a pleasure speaking to you. And yeah, I hope we speak soon again. Have, Have a great one. Day.